the most successful people that I know have also struck out the most. You're not going to succeed with every single thing you do. Not everything is going to go your way. Just determine whether you want to play the game or not. And if you're going to play the game, you got to put some chips in. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Emily, executive producer of the Game Changing Attorney podcast. And today we're flipping the script for a special edition episode to get Michael's take on why fortune favors the bold, why the grass isn't always greener on the other side, and how your actions as a leader can be your greatest influence amongst your team. The best thing you can be to anyone is an example of what's possible. You telling someone how they should execute and that they should be relentless and all these different things is going to fall on deaf ears if you are not modeling that first and foremost. I think the best way to get somebody to operate in a must kind of mindset is if you are the living embodiment of that. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. All right, Michael, welcome back to your own podcast. Welcome back. It's been a while. We are back again for another special edition episode entitled AMMA Ask Michael Mogul Anything. So by popular demand, we are continuing this series. I think we're going to put them out every other week or so. But you asked and we answered. We have tons of you guys that text Michael lots of questions. And this is the place where you get to hear the answers. So if you have a question that you would like to ask Michael, Send him a text at 404-531-7691, and we will add it to the list. You got to stop handing my number out. Just giving them those digits so they could just message me anything, ask me any question. And yes, we will answer them on the podcast. Just don't make it weird. Just don't make it weird. All or right. make it weird. Maybe we'll answer it anyway. And then, you know. I'm not going to lie, Michael. I, I looked through it. There were some weird ones, but, you know, we'll keep it friendly. But it's our discretion, right? Our discretion was always to pick. I would throw in a weird one. Throw in a weird one. Okay, well. For today, we'll keep it not too weird, but number one comes from Sharice, and she says, my partner and I started our firm almost 20 years ago with nothing, and while going out on our own was risky, we had nothing to lose. Now I'm at a place in my life where there's a lot more at stake. I have a mortgage, a family, and a team that depends on me. How should I approach risky decisions like big investments given my changed circumstances? For those listening, I mean, we all know that when you have nothing to lose, it's a lot easier to make any sort of investment. And it's a lot easier to take risks because when it's just you and you have no dependents and you are essentially living on ramen noodles, why not shoot for the moon? But as you grow and now you've got a team that relies on you, a payroll that has to be met, you've got a family, you've got all these people in your community, you've got a brand, all these different things that now you could lose with certain missteps. Now these decisions become sometimes a little bit trickier, but I look at this question more as a question about how do I properly evaluate risk? Because really it's like, what is a risky decision? Sometimes doing nothing is extremely risky if it makes you less competitive day in and day out. And ultimately the phone starts ringing less 
And as a result, now you're not able to remain competitive in your market. You've got to start laying people off. The business starts struggling and it starts affecting things, not only in your business, but also at home with your family. Then it affects you. Boom. There's a risk to that as well. So sometimes inaction or not making an investment or not placing a bet could actually be even more risky than doing something. So the odds of achieving some sort of outcome that's greater than where you are today. So let's say you have a goal. You say, I want to grow my firm, whether it's revenue, team members. I want to attract these specific types of cases. I want to expand into a different market. Whatever your goal may be, your likelihood of achieving that without making some sort of investment or taking some sort of risk is zero. So meaning that if you don't play the game, you can't ever win. Now, this isn't to say that you should just YOLO and bet the business and bet the farm every time you want to go do something because that would be very irresponsible. But it's knowing that, okay, so I never make any bets that if I were to lose the bet would take us out entirely. You can place big bets, but not something to the point where, well, if this doesn't go the way it needs to, I'm going to have to lay off half my team and then where I have to shut the doors and do all that. I think that's very irresponsible. At the same time, I'm constantly making decisions where we invest more and more and more and more because the idea of like grow or die. So you're either growing and becoming more competitive or you're becoming less competitive. The firm is shrinking and then ultimately will eventually go out of business. Like if you did nothing for years and years and years on end and you see this at a lot of like legacy law firms where the founders have transitioned away, the firm, you know, used to be like really well known in the community, maybe still has trailing brand effects and they're getting a lot of their business through referrals, but then a lot of those referral sources pass on, they die. And then now they're saying we're not getting as many cases as we used to because they're competing against people that are really prioritizing everything from like their culture to their brand, their presence in their community. They're investing more and more and more. So doing nothing is actually worse off. So I would look at this as more of a question around, well, how much can we invest? What percentage, let's say if we're talking about a monetary investment, what percentage can we invest, let's say of our profit? that would allow us to still be able to remain competitive and try new things knowing that they could not work out. You can launch a campaign that's not effective. We could hire somebody that ultimately does not end up being a great fit for the firm. But at the same time, it doesn't wipe us out entirely. And I think everybody's risk threshold is different. But I look at it from the standpoint, to me, the greater risk was always not placing bets. And I feel that if you are not living up to the potential that you could achieve, the potential that your firm could achieve, and every day you're having to deal with the stress of being in the middle and having to struggle because you're average, that is a much worse off place to be than going for it and reaching the top of the heap and actually differentiating yourself and being at the top of the market where there's the greatest abundance. So it's just really evaluating what's the greater risk, trying to minimize risk and being on the defensive or getting after it and being on the offensive, knowing that not everything is going to hit, but at least you're giving yourself an opportunity to succeed. I imagine someone's listening to this and thinking, well, I recently tried something big. You know, I was really proud of myself for taking this big risk. Maybe they hired someone or invested $100,000 in something huge and it didn't work out. And now they're second guessing how they should make decisions in the future for something else like that. What would yep. you recommend to them? So that's tough because if somebody's wondering that I'm not sitting across from them so I can't do what I actually want to do. And, and like, I, I empathize with that. And if you had made a big bet that didn't work out, like I 100% empathize with that. But the most successful people that I know have also struck out the most. We were having this conversation yesterday, interestingly, in one of our departments. And I was talking to them and I was like, did you know that I have lost the most business, got the most rejections, had the most phones hung up on me, got the most no's of 
everybody in this company, probably more than everybody in the company combined. It's not like somebody's going down a list of your failures anywhere. All they see are the successes. I know firm owners that have tried to expand in certain markets, lost millions of dollars, millions of dollars that was extremely painful for them in that moment. But now they're running 80 million, $100 million law firms with the lessons that they learned and the lessons that they gained. Now, you don't have to learn those lessons that way each time, but you're not going to succeed with every single thing you do. Not everything is going to go your way. I mean, you're not, at the end of the day, like you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be certain investments that you make that are a complete loss that you did not anticipate that you exercise good judgment in, but at the end of the day, just did not pan out. It could be mass tours that you invested in. It could be people you believed in that you hired that just did not work out. But at the same time, if you were dissuaded from making any bets or placing any bets or making any investments, well, then you just literally do not give yourself any opportunity to succeed at all. So I see people that don't even sit at the table because they took a hard punch and they never got up. And then they say, well, why is my life the way it is? And why is it such a struggle? Well, it's because you got knocked down and you never got up. I mean, again, I don't know what else to tell someone other than you got to try again. And the person that you really should be worried about is the one that doesn't quit because you can achieve anything, literally, I mean, anything, the one who does not ever give up, that continues to try and try and try again, they make it all the way to inventing the light bulb, right? They get there, but they take some L's along the way. But I'll tell you, the most successful people have struck out the most by nature of it. Sometimes just a numbers game. Sometimes they're just putting themselves out there in so many different avenues, so many times. By numbers alone, they win because they strike out a lot, but then they get a lot of big wins also in there. And sometimes you don't know what a great decision is versus what a poor decision is. It's easier in hindsight to know those things. But when you're making that decision, you've got to exercise your best judgment. So I would just say, just determine whether you even want to play the game or not. And if you're going to play the game, you got to put some chips in. I like that. All right. Number two, and for anyone that's counting, that was one A and one B. So don't at me. But the real number two, this one comes from Marcus. And he okay. says, how do I motivate my team to operate in the quote unquote must or quote unquote will mindset rather than the quote unquote, should or maybe mindset? And how should I handle employees who lack commitment to their goals or responsibilities? From what I'm hearing, if you as a leader have an expectation of your team members being killers and savages, of people that don't say, I'm going to try, I will get it done, don't say I should do it or I could do it or any of that other silly stuff that they say, it is a must for me, I'm going to execute, it is a non-negotiable, that's what you want. Of course, that's what we all want as leaders. So first off, I would say that generally, you cannot make anyone do anything. You can't convince anyone of doing something that they themselves are not convinced that they want to do, at least not for the long term. Maybe you can in the short term if it's manipulative, but in the long term, no. And also, you don't control anybody else's effort. The best thing that you can do, I'll draw an analogy here, because I will tell you, we were talking about like health and fitness, so this happens in families all the time. Someone will get committed to their health and fitness. They'll start eating well. They'll start exercising. They're losing a ton of weight. They're looking great. And then they start giving either their partner or their spouse, a significant other, their mom, their dad, their siblings, who may not be committed to those same goals. They start giving them a hard time saying, you should exercise. You should work out. You should eat healthy. You should do all these things. But the reality of it is, is that the best thing you can be to anyone is an example of what's possible. You telling someone how they should execute and that they should be relentless and all these different things is going to fall on deaf ears if you are not modeling that first and foremost. I think the best way to get somebody to operate in a must kind of mindset where like, I will get this done, I will execute, they're not going to be kind of dipping their toe in the water 
is if you are the living embodiment of that and that they see it. And then they, as a result, they respect it. It's the same way. Like we were just talking about with like health and exercise. You could tell somebody to do all these things, or you could focus on achieving these goals for yourself. You're eating well, you're feeling better, you're looking better, all these things. And then before you know it, then someone starts asking you, Hey man, what's your exercise routine? Or what kind of foods are you eating? Right? Cause now they're inspired by you because they see that you are eating your own dog food and you're living this stuff. And that perhaps then rubs off on them. And then when they come to you and they see that, that's going to stick in a much greater way because now it's their decision that they want to do those things. So if you're trying to convince someone to go from being half-hearted to fully committed, good luck. I would first start, like I said, making sure that you model and exemplify the habits that you want other people to model and exemplify. So if you want your team to be fully committed, you want your team to be a bunch of killers and savages, well, are you a killer and a savage? Are you fully committed? And someone will say, yeah, I know I am, but you know, you know the truth. You know when you close your eyes at night, you know if you gave it your all, you know if you fully executed, you know if you're doing the things you say you're going to do, you know if you're keeping your promises to yourself, you know all those things. And if you're not in congruence, rest assured that other people can pick up on that. So I think if you want to get something out of your team, per se, you want to model certain habits and behaviors, you have to be modeling those habits and behaviors. And then from there, you can make your demands because now you're the living embodiment of it. Facts. All right. Last one for today, number three, comes from Walter. And he says, I left a large law firm and hung my shingle about five years ago as a solo practitioner. And today, I lead a team of eight. I've got two other attorneys and five staff. Recently, I caught up with an old friend who's still at the same law firm that I left and learned that his salary as a senior associate is twice as much as my net profit. Plus, he doesn't have to deal with all the headaches of owning a business. Is my jealousy here irrational? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I would ask yourself, why did you go out and start your own firm? If you want to be making more money and have less headaches, go right back to where you came from. I mean, at no point did someone say that when you started your law firm, you were going to be making more money. So in many cases, when I see entrepreneurs leave to start their own business, it's because they're after some sort of freedom and the ability to decide how they're going to spend their time, what they're going to work on, what decisions they're going to make, freedom that perhaps they don't have when they're working for somebody else under another leader. So you have that freedom. Chances are your colleague doesn't. But if you were just after, hey, how do I make more money? Well, maybe you're not there yet, right? That doesn't mean you can't. You can get there, absolutely. But you have to also understand the context of there's certain freedoms that you have that your colleague may not. So as a firm owner, I mean, you get to decide who you hire, who you fire, the cases that you take on, the campaigns and marketing you're going to do. Every decision really is your decision. You don't have to ask anyone for permission. So you can decide what time you're going to roll into the office. You can decide what time you wake up in the morning. Now, that doesn't mean that you can not show up at all and then, you know, wake up at one o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, you can decide to do that. You may also go out of business, but you have that freedom to be able to do that because now it's your own shingle and your own firm and you own it. So you can make all those decisions around that. So can you be jealous that someone somewhere else doesn't have to have the headaches that you do and the challenge that you do? I mean, I don't know if jealousy is the word, it's just reality perhaps, but the price you pay for the freedom that you have are now the headaches that you have as a result today of having to solve very challenging problems of figuring out how are we going to grow this firm? How are we going to hire people? How are we going to have the right culture? How are we going to build up our operation? How are we going to make sure we can attract the right types of cases that we want? How do we make sure everyone does their jobs correctly? I mean, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. You got to be somewhat psychotic to even want to do this, to take this amount of risk 
and then to deal with all the headaches and challenges. I mean, I think entrepreneurs are the only people crazy enough to leave a nine to five working 40 hours a week to go work 100 hours a week for themselves and make less money. I mean, it's just insanity when you think about it and then take all this risk. But I think that's a great opportunity to determine, is this for you? Because as as challenging as it is, and with all the different barriers you now have, the, the different problems you have to solve, would you want it any other way? Because you do have the option of shutting down your operation and then working under somebody else, right? And then not having to worry about any of these headaches. But I would ask you to perhaps revisit why you left in the first place to hang your own shingle and perhaps that that was a forcing function that you wanted to pursue your own freedom and to bet on yourself. Well, now you're betting on yourself and now you got to figure it out. But at the end of the day, the grass always seems greener somewhere else. And in truth, the grass is only greener where you water it. So if you are committed to this path of entrepreneurship, well, now you've got a lot of problems to solve, but I promise you, like I, I promise you, it is worth it. When you figure this shit out, it is amazing. And so you won't even care whether you're jealous of this guy, whether they're jealous of you, who cares? You'll get beyond all that. First, maybe you got some chip on your shoulder, you want to prove somebody wrong. But then as you mature and evolve, you get to a point where you're just designing your own life. And you can design like your life in a way of like, how are you going to spend your time? Who are you going to spend your time with? Who are you going to hire? Who's going to work in your organization? What type of cases will you take on? What type of initiatives will you do? All these different things are now within your control. And especially when you make it work and money is no longer a barrier. So you're not no longer worried about where your next case is coming from and you can get there. Now it's pretty sweet and it's worth it, but it's not worth it on day one. Maybe it's not worth it on year one or year two or year three, but that's also why there's so few entrepreneurs that make it beyond a year or two and be able to build a firm that's a seven-figure firm, an eight-figure firm, or even a nine-figure firm. That's why so few do it, because there's everything that's pulling you back saying, well, it could be easier. Yes, there is the easier path of not having to deal with any of these headaches and just work for somebody who does have to deal with those headaches, but you chose this path. So who said anything about it having to be easy? True that. And you know what? I imagine that when they go out to lunch again next time, his friend is going to be like, man, it must be really cool to have your name on the door. And like you said, grass is always greener, man. You have no idea. Maybe that guy's thinking, gosh, man, this guy has such a cool situation. He gets to wake up whenever he wants. He gets to work on whatever types of cases he wants. He gets to hire whoever he wants. He doesn't know your yeah, situation. Yeah, if he doesn't want to do something, he gives yeah. it to someone that works for him. I mean, psh, what a we luxury, have no man. Idea. What a I privilege. think, you know what? I believe, and then you're going to be like, where did this come from? But I believe this type of thing that we're talking about right now, when someone envies another person, or especially when you see it on social media, I think in the future, social media will be regarded as our generation's smoking. And I think when we're much older, they're going to look back and say all of that comparison and all of that anxiety and just people feeling inadequate and the imposter syndrome and all this stuff that was very much perpetuated by social media of seeing someone's situation, you see a highlight of what they had for dinner or some moment in their life that's like a great thing that you don't really truly know what their day-to-day situation is like. You don't know if they're miserable. You don't know if they're truly happy. But because of that, you play this comparison game of constantly feeling inadequate. So in this case, you don't know if that person perhaps is, is envious of you. But it's all true. you it hear be is, you know, right yeah. now, but all you hear is the salary, right? All you hear is the salary and think, oh, you don't have to worry about it. My headaches, he's making twice as much money. But you have no idea what the other perspective is on that. So I would say be where your feet are. And if you're truly committed to being an entrepreneur and growing your law firm, you're going to have to solve some problems. But it's worth it. It's worth it when you get there. Awesome. Well, Michael, that's all the time that we have today, but we'll catch you at the next one. All right. All right. I'll be here. All right. Bye. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with Michael Mogul. 
If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book at gamechangingattorney.com. Number two, shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, leave this podcast a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com.